leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Across the continuum of drug discovery, development, and delivery, there's growing effort to incorporate the patient perspective into the process. Last year, Faster Cures, the nonprofit focused on accelerating and improving medical research, held a multi-stakeholder workshop to discuss the challenges and opportunities of patient-reported outcomes and how to make them a more powerful tool for incorporating patient perspectives into R&D and care decision-making. A new report from the organization captures the results from that workshop. We spoke to Cynthia Grossman, Director of Science of Patient Input at Faster Cures, about the report and why patient-reported outcome measures and patient-centric outcomes are not one and the same, and what can be done to better reflect what matters to patients. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about patient-centered outcomes. A, a recently issued report from Faster Cures based on a workshop conducted last year and what it will take to implement outcomes that are truly patient-centric. Perhaps we can start with some context. There's been growing focus on patient-centric outcomes. What's driving this interest and, and what's the ultimate goal? Yeah, so this shift toward patient centricity, as uh, many people refer to it, is one that Faster Cures has been influencing and tracking for some time. It's probably best detailed in our 2015 Science Translational Medicine article titled From Passengers to Co-Pilots. And it's, I think it's really a confluence of factors. Policy initiatives such as the FDA's Patient-Focused Drug Development and the 21st Century Cures Act certainly contributed. Financial factors have really forced the conversation about how we define value in our healthcare system. And then there's the growing capacity of patient advocacy organizations to fund and support scientific endeavors. But really, at the end of the day, as you ask, the, the ultimate goal is to ensure that the development and delivery of medical products are really aligned with outcomes that matter most to patients. We talk about patient-reported outcome measures, and patient-centric outcomes. As you know, these are two different things. Can you explain why they're not one and the same? Absolutely. So really getting clarity on definitions is so important here because we risk assuming that we're all moving in the same direction and we're sort of saying the same thing when, in fact, we may not be. 
So it's also really important to mention that while we're gaining greater clarity on the definitions, uh, the relationship between those terms, kind of a taxonomy, if you will, is still really evolving. But to your question, patient-reported outcomes, which have been around for a long time, are simply outcomes that patients can report on without any interpretation by others. And historically, those others were physicians or nurses or clinicians. Um, so this means that patients fill out a survey or respond to an interview, and their response is captured as is. Now, patient-centered outcomes, on the other hand, are outcomes that have been determined in partnership with patients, um, and they've been identified as being outcomes that matter to patients or their care caregivers. So you can see how one could confuse patient-reported with patient-centered, but just because I can fill out a survey as patient-reported doesn't mean the survey is capturing what matters to me and is thus patient-centered. So, and, it's, and one other thing to add here is that patient-centered outcomes, they don't necessarily have to be reported on by patients. So, for example, if I'm a teenager with cystic fibrosis, hospitalizations may mean a lot to me. That may be a very important outcome for my life, and I might seek to have a reduction, have an, uh, an intervention that reduces my hospitalization, my chance of hospitalization. But the the outcome of hospitalization can be reported on by a physician or a hospital system. So that could be considered a patient-centered outcome that may not be reported on by patients. So our report really tries to shine a light on these nuances as really important to sort of distinguish patient-reported outcomes from patient-centered outcomes and sort of figure out ways in which we can make sure that patient-reported outcomes are more patient-centered. There's a, a legacy of patient-reported outcomes in use today, should those be reconsidered because they may not be patient-centric? Are, are there efforts to, to reevaluate those measures being used? Yeah, I, the short answer is yes. Um, many legacy patient-reported outcomes, as they're often called, are those surveys or structured interviews that were not necessarily created in partnership with patients. They were really developed and the items were identified by um, using the input of physicians or clinical researchers. And so what we've heard from many patient advocacy organizations who want to use those kinds of measures is that the individual items don't really resonate with what's important to their patient community. And so there are, in fact, a number of efforts underway. Some people call them bridging studies or um, survey adapting studies to try to make sure that those legacy measures can be adapted and, and, are, and are really capturing those things that matter to patients without completely throwing out the baby with the bathwater of all the hard work that went into identifying those measures, the items that go into those measures. Patient-centric outcomes can play a, a changing role during the continuum of the drug discovery, development, and, and treatment process. How does the role patient-centric outcomes change, and, and, and how should they apply throughout that continuum? That's a great question, and it's really one of the things that we tried to highlight in our report, which is we need to start thinking about applying measurement, as you say, throughout that continuum, and maybe even someday thinking about it being more cyclical so that the information is, that we collect can be 
uh, used in the discovery phase, the development phase, and the delivery phase, but that when you're in healthcare delivery context, that information can get captured that's patient-centered and can be fed back into early discovery and development. So it's a bit more cyclical process. But right now, we really just like it to be more continuous. And um, that's exactly how we ended up looking at uh, PROs in, in the report. And there were a couple of things that, that we highlighted that get in the way. Uh, the first is really that there's a big challenge in terms of the questions you're trying to answer when they differ between discovery, development, and delivery. So, for example, if I want to know whether or not, and I'm a, I'm a product developer, if I want to know whether or not my medical product impacts a patient report outcome like pain, I really need to make sure that that measure has a certain level of specificity to my product and that the uh, score or responses to that measure, that pain measure, are not influenced by other factors like someone's job or other conditions that they might have. But this level of specificity, that level of specificity might be overkill or inappropriate in the context of a wider delivery system in the healthcare setting where you have a much more complex patient population and people are expected to have comorbidities or things that fit co-occurring that they have. And so many people feel like it might be unrealistic to expect the exact same measure to be kind of pulled through and used in the development context of the medical product as well as the care delivery platform. I, I think that's still a tension there that we need to figure out. The other big challenge is the way in which we uh, implement these measures in these different contexts. So if you take the product development phase where there's a clinical trial, that clinical is likely to last 10, 15 years and cover the span of that patient's illness, especially if it's a more chronic condition. And so within clinical trials, there's this issue of patient burden. You want to streamline your measurements so you're not asking a million questions of your, of your clinical trial uh, participants and partners. And, and so in this context, what you really get from a patient-reported outcome measure is a snapshot of how the product impacts. Um, so someone's healing and functioning, but not the whole picture. And that's very different than the care context, right? So in the care context, patients are showing up multiple times for visits over a longer period of time, and people in the care context, physicians and clinicians, have an ongoing relationship with the provide with their patients. And in that context, you need to implement patient-reported outcomes in a more continuous manner to have a complete story, and you don't want to there overburden somebody with boring questions every week for, you know, five, ten years. That's not going to work either. So there's this sort of implementation titration that you have to do depending on the context. So this is why I think many people are trying to kind of think through the real nuances here that we tried to highlight for a quarter, that the right PRO, the right patient report outcome for the right purpose implemented in the right way so that we can draw meaningful conclusions about the changes in, in, in those outcomes. Well, one of the things that came out of the, the workshop was that even though there may be a lot of patient-reported outcome data floating around, that that information isn't generally available to patients when it comes to making decisions about their own care. How significant a problem is that in, in the absence of formal mechanisms for that? Are, are patients 
relying on trading information over the internet? Does that work or does that have other problems because of a lack of scientific rigor? Yeah, I think it, so it, so it is a huge issue. And it's not just a huge issue for patients, it's also a huge issue for providers. Providers want to have uh, patient-centered outcomes available to them in a way that, that allows them to, to be helpful to their patients and to do some shared decision-making at the point of care. Um, so let's say I'm fortunate to have treatment of a patient, I'm fortunate to have a treatment option or be presented with the choice to delay treatment. treatment. Um, and having that information is critical for me because it will help me make more clear decisions about how I can, how I can anticipate feeling and functioning if I take treatment A over treatment B or if I delay treatment versus take treatment. And the real problem is that, yes, there's an issue of the lack of rigor of the information floating around any system, whether that's on the Internet or even the way in which patient report outcomes are implemented in care. But the real issue at the point of care is that there's just no information available. The PROs are just not generally embedded in the electronic medical records, and they're not available um, in a way that is useful to patients and providers. So in the absence, as you point out, patients are kind of left with going online and asking other patients like them who may or may not have the same treatment, um, sort of how they were feeling and functioning to try to get a read on what they can anticipate. And interestingly enough, providers are also on those online forums trying to get an understanding of their, of their patients, right? So, I, but I don't think it should be either or. I don't think there's anything wrong with those online platforms. Um, being a way for patients to kind of uh, share their experience and get the experience of others, there's value to that. But I, the other side of the equation of having really high-quality uh, data available at the point of care that physicians and patients can look at together uh, is, is the issue. So it's really that that information isn't there and it's not of high enough quality to be used or the right type of information to be able to be useful to, to patients. One of the interesting things you note is that it's not just drug companies that need to do a better job of developing and implementing patient-centered outcomes. Patient organizations can do a lot more. Can, can you explain? Sure. Well, it, it, it's kind of like similar to patient-reported outcomes. Just because a patient advocacy organization has the word patient in their title doesn't mean that their activities or efforts or initiatives are by definition patient centers. Um, and we really highlight that uh, the goal of ensuring, identifying and capturing and ensuring we're, we're collecting patient-centered outcomes should be kind of an all-hands-on-deck activity. Everybody should be wanting to get to that goal. And it's one of the challenges been that it's not patient uh, advocacy organizations, I think, are uh, incorrectly assumed to be naturally patient-centered. But part of the issue that they're struggling with, that everybody is struggling with, is that every, technically everyone should be held to the same standard of what it means. And we don't have a, a, a commonly agreed upon set of standards to say, yep, that's a patient-centered measurement uh, activity. That's the way you conduct patient-centered measurement. Now, the American Institute for Research has these five principles of patient-centered measurement that they've put out that I think is a reasonable start. So the idea being, you know, can, can these things help us understand what it means to 
conducts patient-centered measurement, similar to the way in which if you say something is valid, there's a set of methods and standards for making that determination. I think we need that in the patient-centered measurement world very much. Are, are there examples of things patient groups are doing to address the need for more patient-centric outcomes? There's some great examples, and I, this is really an exciting place of innovation where patient advocacy groups and organizations are, are either working together with um, the academic researchers or they're coming together in a store show or they're uh, coming together with online platforms or other kinds of companies to really innovate in this space. And one nice example is the Michael J. Fox Foundation, um, which launched an online clinical study called Fox Insight to collect patient-reported data where patients could go ahead and answer a series of different types of questions that would help them understand things like unmet medical needs or how to optimize clinical trial design so it's less burdensome for patients and they can be more likely to participate. And so all these organizations are kind of partnering in this space to, um, to, to work on this issue together. And so that's a really exciting development. One of the things that I think might surprise people is the time and, and cost it takes to develop patient-centric outcomes. How complex a process is that, and, and what does it take? So it's kind of a good news, bad news story, really. It's that the good news is that the development process has been uh, streamlined a bit, in part because of the hard work of experts who do a lot of it's called psychometrics. They do a lot of survey, um, the sort of science of building surveys has advanced quite a bit. So there's sort of a system for that. But the bad news is that there are still estimates of the development of a new patient report outcome measure to take as long as five years, maybe even a little bit more, and half a million dollars. And so it's not as inexpensive and not a, a, a fast process. It's not, well, it's not, it's not complex per se. Uh, it is a stepwise process. And I think that's one of the things that makes it hard to speed it up. Um, you have to be very um, systematic in the way that you capture input and make sure that you're doing the right statistical analyses to ensure that kind of level of specificity I was talking about earlier. And for the other challenges is that when you use these measures in the context of clinical trials, the measurement activity tracks along with the development process, which we also know is lengthy and costly. So um, those are some of the, the challenges. But, I, I, you know, I think there's an open question as to whether or not either novel analytics or novel technologies might somehow be able to disrupt this. But for now, I think um, uh, it's, it's by sort of design and by necessity uh, a bit of a timely and costly, costly process. I, I think of technology like smartphones and, and tablets and, and the, the new wearables that have been emerging. Providing a new way to accelerate and improve data gathering on patient-centric outcomes, but there's a downside. Your, your report points out that there's a concern that changing implementation can negatively impact the validity of existing patient-centered outcome measures. Can you explain the concern? Yeah, so it's a bit of an academic issue, but it's a really important one. So. As I mentioned, there's this level of scientific rigor used to develop the measures, especially those used in product development or when they're used to make um, sort of very sensitive care decisions that could be 
um, influenced by factors like maybe everybody didn't report on the measure, or everybody didn't answer all the questions, or there's sort of some technical challenges that, that we need to sort out or that need to be, um, make sure that the scientific rigor is there. And so what we really don't know is how, if you change the way you're administering a patient-reported outcome measure, so moving from, like, paper pencil to delivery on your smartphone, how that would affect the rigor and the sensitivity and, and some of the validity behind the measure. Um, it, I don't think it necessarily has to be an all-bad situation, though. It doesn't have to necessarily mean the move um, is a detriment to scientific rigor. So, for example, one thing we know is that if for, for some patients, if you use to a more user-friendly delivery platform like a smartphone, you might be less likely to have that missing data, which means that your the, the scientific rigor behind your measure actually bumps back up because you can feel uh, confident that you're capturing the patient information from the patient population that you intend to capture information from. So I think the jury's still out on how the technology will impact the scientific rigor, but it doesn't necessarily have to be all bad. You make a series of recommendations on how to advance patient-centric outcomes. I thought we could run through those starting with driving adoption. Yeah, so um, I think the the driving adoption piece is really uh, has to do with this idea that uh, there are these existing or emerging principles, like the, the ones from the American Institute of Research that I talked about, or um, even uh, standards of measurement, and the adoption really needs to come in. We need to start putting those principles in practice and seeing how that resonates. Is that really something that everybody could collectively look at and say, yep, those work, and that's what I would call patient-centered measurement. And so really driving adoption of some of these principles or standards is kind of the next wave to push forward um, the sort of collective agreement that we're moving in the right direction, we're kind of all coming, rowing in the right direction when it comes to patient-centered measurement. The next was define return on investment. The real question is, so, so you could implement patient-centered measurement, implement PROs or some uh, package of patient-centered measures. So what? Does it have an impact and what impact does it have? And I think that what you talked about and what we talked about with the, the time and the cost to do this measure development to validate it and make it rigorous. All of that is investment, right? And so you want to be able to know at the end of the day that, that there are these kind of short-term wins or long-term um, outcomes that uh, matter to product developers, payers, physicians, hospital systems, but above all, also patients. So um, that data still needs to get collected in terms of what the, what the return on investment really looks like. And the last, celebrating success. So we know that there's a lot of um, innovation that's happening and that we, we know that there's a lot of work happening, but we still don't have what we talked about earlier, which is that patient-reported outcome that can be used in the context of development and discovery of a medical product that it makes it into either a label, product label, or in some way data that can be used at the point of care for 
uh, provider and patient decision making, and then used by uh, and taken up by kind of the payer community and used essentially in by hospital systems to understand the quality of care. And so, I, so by celebrating successes, we want to sort of try to make sure that we're capturing anything that kind of hits along that line so we can see what makes it uh, through that pipeline and how to make that a more continuous process of patient And payers are often the gatekeepers to access for patients to get a therapy. Do you see growing interest in patient-centric outcomes changing the way payers consider the value of a therapy? I think there's, there's definite interest, but there's some devil in the details. So, uh, like I, I mentioned, sort of, if you don't have patient-centered outcomes, if you don't have patient-reported outcomes that end up in your clinical trial and they don't end up in the label, they, they really can't, it's really difficult to figure out how to get that information into the hands of payers. So the first sort of roadblock is that the data needs to be available to, um, to payers and it needs to be of high enough quality. Um, and then I think the other thing is that it's likely that um, we're still in early days for payers to consider the value of therapy, but they're uh, to patient-centered outcomes as part of the value conversation, but the conversation is shifting more to trying to figure out how to take into patients patient's perspective into those kinds of decision-making, and I think it's more likely that we'll see payers gravitate towards kind of almost a combination of patient-centered outcomes, not just sort of wholeheartedly adopting one patient-supported outcome, but really trying to think about what set of outcomes that they use to make some uh, determination of value. But overall, the entire ecosystem is having a kind of uh, rethinking and redefinition of value, and we're just excited that so many people are making sure that patients are, are part of our conversation. Cindy Grossman, author of the report Patient Reported Outcomes, Design with the End in Mind, which you can find on the Faster Cures website at fastercures.org, and Director of Science of Patient Input at Faster Cures. Cindy, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.